of all the people that were gathered on Golgotha that day, that Friday, it's hardest for me to imagine what Mary went through. Thinking about a mother watching her son, an innocent son, be crucified. That's tough. And the tender thought that John recorded in that passage that was just read to you, that's hard for me to contemplate too. John, in essence, says in that passage, I was standing by his mother while he was dying. And I was his closest friend. I was the one he loved the most. And he looked down and he told Mary to treat me like a son. To trust me like her new son. And he told me to treat her like my own mother. So I cared for her until she died. I can't fathom what that day was like for Mary. What her thoughts and emotions might have been like that day. I don't know why her heart didn't just explode in her chest. I don't know why her mind didn't just go into shock and shut down that day. Now, of course, she knew things. She understood things. I don't know how much she knew, but in one way she had been preparing for this day for 30 years. I brought two pictures to show you. The first one is of the Pietà. Pietà is an Italian word for the pity, the compassion. Uh, pictures and sculptures of Mary holding the body of Jesus, which we don't know if she ever did. But pictures and sculptures of that are all called pietas. But this one's special. Now, this one is the one carved from a block of Carrara marble by Michelangelo himself. I've seen the pieta in person. I saw it a long time ago before they had to hide it behind some glass because of some crazy vandal, but to see it as close as me to that table or even closer is inexplainable. Uh, To think that a man coaxed this out of a rock, you can't explain it. I can't tell you how beautiful it is. You have to see it in person. And people have seen it. When I say that, they say, oh, that's right. You just can't explain what it looks like. It's, you know it's a rock, but it looks more like flesh. It's flesh more than stone. And to consider that Michelangelo did that when he was 24 makes it even more amazing what man can do. And then there's Mary's face, is the next picture. When Michelangelo did that, he didn't do it like most other artists. He didn't do it like we would think a mother ought to look like when her son has just been killed unjustly. 
it, when you see it in person, it kind of glows. There's a look about her that is, is uplifted rather than crushed. Serene, maybe, is a good word. Confident. Satisfied. I'm sure everybody sees something different in it. But I would suggest that it makes a difference to go to the cross and know that Jesus cared for you. To know that he had your name on his lips when he died. And that's what Mary knew at this time. With the exception of just a few babies, everybody in this room knows that what happened on the cross. We all know that Jesus died. But until we understand the other part, it makes little difference. What's the other part? That he died for me. A number of years ago, a young lady asked me to baptize her, and I, it's my custom. I always ask a few questions to make sure that a person knows what they're committing to and why and what they're doing for sure. And when this lady explained it to me, she came to one part where I, I knew she had it. The phrase she used was, she said, it was the idea. What made you want to be baptized? What made you decide to? It was the idea that someone had died for me. She got it. I knew she did. That's the other part. The, the part that makes a difference. Oh, yes, he died is a really important fact. It's really important to know that. But he died for me. That's a life changer. I've told you before about a man named Willie Lear, and I'll tell it again because I think it's a great story. It's told for the truth by the folks that report it. Willie Lear was a young soldier in the Civil War time, and he witnessed a group of Southern soldiers that were, been, had been sentenced to a firing squad. And the captain led them into the clearing and prepared them for to be shot. And as they were being blindfolded, Willie Lear stepped out from behind the tree and said, Who's the captain of this firing squad? The captain said, I am, but don't bother us. We've got work to do. He said, Well, let me just interrupt for a moment. He said, That man on the end there, he said, I know him. He's married and has ten children. And if you shoot him today, you will make orphans of ten little boys and girls. He said, I'm single. I have no family. If you believe that one can substitute for another, I'd like to take his place. Captain was a little stunned, but when he ascertained that he was really serious about it, he said, well, then take his place. Take his blindfold off, put it on, stand in his place. Very quickly, that had been done. Willie Lear took the man's place. 
moment later, the shots were fired and ten men fell in the bloody dust. Right after the war, a man went to the cemetery where Willie Lear had been buried. And he put a tombstone that he had made there. It says, here lies the body of Willie Lear, the man who died for me. He said, so that's what I want you to get today. That's what I want you to see or feel or know is that he died for me. What happened on the cross is just not about the death of a good man. What happened on the cross is not just about what happened, uh, the death of a good man for the world, although that's true. What happened on the cross is that a good man died for me and for you. Simon is in the story that is told of the crucifixion. He was an African from Cyrene. As far as we know, he was just in the crowd watching. We don't know if he'd come to see Jesus or what he knew about anything, but when Jesus faltered carrying his cross, a soldier looked at Simon and said, You come here and assigned him to help Jesus carry the cross. And so here's Simon helping this beaten, bloody man. I don't know how much he knew about Jesus. Maybe on the way to Calvary, he and Jesus talked. Maybe Simon said, what are they crucifying you for? Maybe Jesus explained it to him. We, we don't know. But I'm sure that once Simon got there, he stayed to watch what happened. He saw the spikes driven into his hands, and he saw the cross lifted up. If he stayed long enough, he heard Jesus look down and say, Father, forgive them. He stayed long enough, he saw it turn dark for three hours. He knew something special was going on. And we don't know Simon's story, but when Mark tells it, he points out that Simon is the father of Rufus and Alexander. Why would he put that in there? I believe there's only one answer. I believe he put that in there because he says, you can ask the witnesses. You can ask the brothers... Rufus and Alexander, but they are also brothers. They're Christians, and you know them. Whenever Simon started out that day knowing about Jesus, I think by the end of the day he got it. I think he understands that this good man, who's done nothing wrong, is dying up there for me. The thief that was hanging right next to Jesus. He started the day uh, insulting Jesus, making fun of him, mocking him like everybody else in the crowd, along with the other thief. But as the day wore on, something changed. Uh, yeah, he was watching Jesus. He was seeing what was going on, and maybe they talked. Maybe the thief asked him some questions. Whatever happened... The thief changed. Toward the end of the day, he knew this man's done nothing wrong. He told the other thief, in fact, he said, stop picking on him. He said, we're being killed justly. There's a reason we're being crucified. There's no reason for this man to die. 
You see, he assumed the thief was a Jew. If so, he knew enough of the law to know that capital punishment was supposed to purge evil from the land. And he probably knew that the rabbis taught that before an execution, the guilty person was supposed to say, May my death be an atonement for all my sins. And the thief looked at Jesus and he saw him look down and say, Father, forgive them. And I think he got it. He said to Jesus, remember me in your kingdom. Jesus answered, today you'll be with me in paradise. I think the thief knew what was happening. He knew that this man, this man who had done nothing wrong, this man was dying for him. I think sometimes about the man that Willie Lear died for. I think I would ask over and over over the years after that, I would think, you know, he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to die for me. The same thing's true here in the story we're looking at. Think about that sometime. He didn't have to do it. He could have given up. He could have stopped at any point. He had free will. He could have stopped real early when the people from his hometown tried to throw him over a cliff. He could have just said, that's it, I don't need this. When his brothers ridiculed him, when a gang of hypocrites accused him of blaspheming God, when Peter worshipped him at the supper and then cursed him at the fire. When the soldiers spat in his face, he didn't spit back. When the soldiers slapped him, he didn't slap them. When the whip ripped his back, he didn't call on those angels. They were waiting to do something. When the soldiers held his hands down to nail them to the cross, you understand they didn't need to hold them. He held them steady. He said, no one takes my life. I give it. He didn't have to do this. But he laid down his life for, you can whisper it to yourself. He laid down his life for me. There's so many things in life that, you know, we can't figure out. So many questions in life that only what happened on the cross gives us an answer or gives us any hope. So many things happen in life that people say, why would God allow that to happen? That's horrible. That's, that's evil. Well, all the answers to those impossible questions come back to the fact that he gave us free will. He loved us enough to let us choose. And when he did that, we chose the wrong things many times. Adam and Eve chose the wrong thing, and sin entered the world, and evil entered the world, and the world's been messed up ever since. Sin is what causes hurt and death and pain. And Jesus went to the cross to wipe all of that away, to pay for it. 
all of the death and ugliness and hurting and pain that's caused by sins, Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. What's finished? What did Jesus mean when he said that? Well, just look at the picture. See what was happening there. He was toward the end. He was about to die. The pressure on his lungs was about to kill him. The sky was dark. The two thieves were probably past thinking about him and were moaning about their own pain. Maybe it was thundering. But Jesus, at one point, pressed up on the what his feet were resting on so he could get a breath. And he said, it is finished. The plan of redeeming man, the plan of, of paying for all sin and all that it causes, he had just finished it. The, the sacrifice had been made for everything that you've ever done. The blood had been poured for everything that's ever happened wrong in your life. Sting of death is removed. We can look forward to death. And some people look at it as finished. As maybe it sounds like a cry of defeat. Well, I'm done. It's over. I think if he had enough energy, it would have been a triumphant shout. I think if his hands weren't nailed down, he might have said, it is finished. What's finished, Jesus? I I finished paying for Lloyd Craw. I finished paying for the Hawes family. I finished paying for Eddie Holland. I finished paying for Robert Cummings. I finished paying for... Wes Decker. I finished paying for Andrew Duncan. I finished paying for David Moore. It is finished. I've paid for them. It's over. I'd read all those cards if I had time and if I thought it would make you understand. How personal the cross was. He died for us. Each and every one of us. Did you know Jesus' final prayer was about you? I know the one that he prayed in the upper room and and all of that. He prayed about all his followers to come and all that. But when he went off alone in the garden, when he told Peter and Andrew and James and John to watch, And he went a stone's throw on into the garden, and he fell on his face, and he prayed. When he spoke with his father, it was about you. Because, you see, he said to the father, he said, I don't want to do this. He said, is there any way I can get out of this? Take this away from me. He knew what it was going to be like to be separated from the father but he really knew what it was going to be like to take all of my sins and your sins. So he said, please take this away from me. 
and, and the Father, but then he said, but not my will, but your will. You know, he knew what God's will was. He knew that God is not willing that any should perish. God is not willing that any should perish. That all should come to repentance. And that's what the Father answered him. Jesus said, is there another way for this? And the Father said, no, there's no other way for Joy Gamble. There's no other way for Ann Hightower. No other way for Mary Wooten. No other way for Larry Potter. No other way for Steve Allen. There's no other way. You've got to do this. And so he did. I've seen people die before. I've been in the hospital or in the home where someone's dying. Sometimes it's very peaceful. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes they're gasping for breath. Even the full oxygen doesn't give them enough oxygen to really breathe, and they struggle with it. Now, that's painful to watch. But it occurred to me as I was thinking about this sermon, how much more painful would it be to watch that if it was my fault? If I had caused it. If they were dying because of me. That's beyond comprehension, isn't it? In this world. But that's what happened on Calvary. When we go to the cross, we see a man struggling for breath. That's usually what killed people that were crucified. They couldn't support their body and they couldn't hold their lungs up and they couldn't get a breath and they died from suffocation. When we see that, then some of the things we sing and talk about make a whole lot more sense. In that old rugged cross stained with blood so divine, a wondrous beauty I see. For on that old cross, Jesus suffered and died to pardon and sanctify me. When he went to the cross, he died that death. He separated from God. He took the sins of Calvin Nagel, took the sins of Bill Byers took the sins of Richard Martin, of Don Delano, of Michael Womack. I'd keep reading if it would help. But I hope you get the point. He died not just for me, he died because of me. It's a wondrous beauty, but an amazing thought. I sometimes think about Willie Lear's story and think, what if Willie Lear, right before he put the blindfold on, would have looked over at that man whose place he would take him and said, would you do this for me? And given him some task, some favor, some request. Do you think that man would have taken care of it? 
You think that man would have been thrilled to do what the man who died for me asked him to? I think maybe we ought to be a little bit more that way if we understand that he did die for me. The crowd on Pentecost was like that, at least part of them, 3,000 of them. That They'd killed him. They'd been part of it. And Peter explained that to them. And when Peter got through explaining to them, they got it. They understood he was dying for us and we're the ones that killed him. Their question was obvious, what do we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized. That's all? Yes, that's all. That shows that you trust in him. That shows, that shows that his death for you was effective, that you understand it. You're willing to accept that free gift. As simple as that is, people still argue about it and think, I don't have to do that. I think the man that Willie Lear died for it would have done anything, Willie Lear asked. I think we should do what Jesus asked because he died for me. He could have called 10,000 angels, the song says, but he died alone for you and me. Step out and trust him today if you need to. The man who died for you asks you to come to him. Let's stand and sing.